listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Good morning. Oh, come on. You can do better than that. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, I'm standing in for Pastor Mark while he's out. My name is Steve Hudson, and that's my wife that was on the piano, Karen Hudson. And uh, we are members here at uh, Bethel Bible. Who was whistling at her? <coughs> but we're members here at Bethel Bible, and uh, we've been going here for quite some time. If this is your first time here, we'd like to welcome you and just say we'd love for you to come back. On the side of your chair, as you're sitting, not on my left, but on my right, your left, there is a little black book down there. If you will pick that thing up, put your name, your address, your phone number, how much money you have in your savings account. No, if you'll fill that out and if you've got any prayer requests and uh, put those in there, we would be glad to follow up on that. And like I said, if this is your first time here, we want to welcome you to Bethel Bible. I, uh, Mark asked me, I guess it's been, what, six weeks ago, if I would minister, when he asked me, it kind of set me back because I was back there working on coffee at the time. And uh, immediately I said, well, I, I think I need to pray about this one. Everybody ever have to do that? And so as I walked away and went back to go do my cookie work in the back, you guys know I do the coffee and cookies and stuff. It's like the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, you know what? You know what you need to say. And so I thought to myself, I said, okay, and so I turned around and walked back out, and as I was walking toward Mark, I felt like the Lord laid something on my heart, and at that time, I don't remember if Mark was preaching in the book of Galatians, and he's talking about faith, and I don't know whether he was preaching in the book of Galatians at that time, but the Lord laid something very definite on my heart, and uh, the title of what I'm going to be talking about today, because I'm used to giving titles, that way everybody knows the direction I'm going, it's called Never Give Up and Never Give In. And I'll say that again, never give up and never give in. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. I am a rover, Bill, so <clears throat> I think one of the first things that popped into my mind was the time involved. And, uh, you know, I got to think and I said, you know, we pretty much stay at a certain place and that's where we go with this. And I remember going to several different churches. I have ministered uh, several years. Well, it's been five years since I've been up here, so if I'm a little rusty, you'll just have to excuse that. Uh, but I remember ministering. I had the privilege of ministering at several different churches over the period of years, and there were some things about clocks that just really stood out to me. And I went to one church, and I came up, and I was looking at the podium, and <clears throat> right at the very top of the podium, it said the ninth parable, the preacher's parable. The short-winded shall be invited back. Went to another church one time, and on the very back, they had this one huge clock. And right up underneath the clock, it said, Remember Lot's wife. You know, and I got to the pulpit, and I got to thinking about that, and I said, Why would, they let, why would that be there for the pastor? And the pastor told me after the service, he goes, It's not for you. It's for all those people that are sitting out in the pew looking back to see what time it is. And I'll tell you one more. Uh, I asked a pastor in Kerrville, Texas one time, I said, uh, you know, I want to honor and prefer, you know, what you do here. I said, how much time do I have to minister? He goes, well, you can go to 
I, he goes, you can go as long as you want, but the people leave at 12. So if, if you're leaving, uh, you can't leave until 12 at least, all right, 11.30, 11.45. Now I'm just pulling your leg. But anyway, we're going to be talking about never give up, never give in. And I want to use my text this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 7 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 7 through 8. Now, is that in King James? Nope. NAS? ESV? All right. For those of you that know me, I do all my memorization out of King James. So if they post it in ESV or NAS, notice that I, I, I do all my quotations out of King James, and I do my reading out of the NAS. So it gets a little bit of confusing, but the Scripture still says the same thing. You know what I'm saying? So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verses 7 through 8, it says this, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not me only, but unto all of them also that love his appearance. And, and I want to focus on one particular part of this scripture. And it says this, I have fought a good fight of faith. And here's the bottom line to this. It, it, you know, it really matters how we start our relationship with God. And it really matters how we walk in our relationship with God. And it really, really matters how we end this thing here on earth. And Paul is very explicit about this. And he goes, I have fought the good fight. I have fought a fight of faith. And I'm going to be talking about that into some detail this morning. During World War II, there were actually two prime ministers, one just prior to World War II and one right at the beginning of World War II. And I think most of us, well, I say most of us, a lot of us know the history. Some of us do know history. Uh, and about World War II, and Prime Minister Chamberlain, who was just prior to Churchill, Hitler was making his move on Europe, and he was really putting pressure on France and England and the powers that be that were over in Europe, especially after World War I, when they came together and became a power. And Hitler was coming into existence in the late 30s, actually the mid-30s to the late 30s. And he came in to power and in the process of that he was wanting to expand and to extend Germany into different countries. Well the powers that be at that time which was France and Poland and England they kind of they were at, at the mercy of Hitler and Chamberlain who was basically the leader of the free world over in Europe did not stand against Hitler. Matter of fact, what he did was he tried to make peace. And let me say this to you this morning. You are not going to be able to make peace with the enemy. It's just not going to happen. We're at war with him. And it's going to be a battle of faith. But in Chamberlain, in, in his duration or his time, his tenure, he gave up Czechoslovakia. He gave up Poland. And he was recognized as the great appeaser. That's what England called him, was the great appeaser. Because he wouldn't stand and he wouldn't fight against the known enemy at that time, which is Adolf Hitler. And I can say this too much to you. He would make flights into Germany to talk to Hitler and try to work something out. And he would come back and he would mislead the people and say, we have an act of peace. We've signed a declaration of peace with Germany. I want you to know something. Germany had no intentions 
on following through with that. And the thing about it was, was a lot of the people knew it too, including Churchill. So we find out that as he had signed that declaration of peace, he just ignored that thing and he went on in and he did what he was going to do. He was going to try to conquer all of Europe and bring it into under Germany's uh, domination. We know that in history, that in 1940, there was a man called Winston Churchill. Anybody remember him? There was a bust of him in, in the White House. Winston, nobody knows Winston Churchill. Okay. All right. I'm going to have to stop and give history lessons. Winston Churchill, and you know what he was recognized as? The English Bulldog. The English Bulldog. And so we've got to ask ourselves, are we going to be recognized as what? The Great Appeaser? Or are we going to be recognized as the English Bulldog? I want to read you a speech that <clears throat> Prime Minister Churchill gave in 1940. And it was, every time I read this, I get excited. But you've got to remember now, when he read this thing, England and France and Poland and Czechoslovakia was being bombarded by the German army, by the Nazis. They were under, they were under pressure. And Churchill steps in at this point of time, and this is, what, this is the speech that he wrote, and I really love it. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I will say it is to wage war by sea, land, and air with all of our might and with all of our strength that God can give us. To wage war against monstrous tyranny never suppressed in the dark, never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human crime, that is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer with one word. It is victory, victory at all costs, victory in spite of all terror, victory however long and hard the road may be. And he went on to say, we shall go to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our land, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. He was speaking to the Harrow School that he had attended as a boy. And he began to say this, never give in, never give in, never, never, never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never again give in except convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. And I can appreciate that speech right there because... When we begin to take a look at this, you have to realize one thing about being a Christian, that is that we are at war. We are at war. As Christians today, we're going to face adversities. We're going to face problems. We will go through trials. We will go through testings, and we will go through temptations. Now, understand this, that temptations themselves doesn't mean that you've sinned. Okay, A temptation or a trial or a problem, or adversity, when it comes to you, that doesn't mean that you have sinned. Those things are like birds that fly over your head. You can't, you can't control that. 
Anybody ever try to control birds flying over there? Some of you shoot turkeys and stuff. But anyway, you can't, you can't control that. But you can control one thing about those birds, them making a nest in your hair. Temptations, trials, and problems. The adversary will bring them to you. You cannot escape this one particular thing. We have an adversary that we must recognize and we must face. Not just once. Not just once in a while, but on a daily basis. On a daily basis. Remember this. Just as the Lord said he wanted to be praised from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, your enemy needs to be fought from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. His claim that he wants to place upon you is you, your family, your marriage, and everything that interests Christians, he wants to destroy those things. We cannot escape this fact. You know, I've said several times, I think, in class that we're free from the power of sin, but we are not free from the presence of it just yet. There will come a time when we will be free also from the presence of sin, but that time will come when we are where? In heaven. When we are in God's great presence. But for right now, guess what? We are here. Everybody look at the next person and say, guys, we're stuck here. I want to read you John chapter 17, verses 11 through 21. And this is a priestly prayer. What time is it? John chapter 17, verses 11. Through 21. And this is Christ's priestly prayer concerning his disciples. And it says this. And I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep them in thy name, the name which thou hast given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in my name, which thou hast given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them thy word, and thy word has, <clears throat> thy word has hated them. I, excuse me, I'm sorry. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Do not ask. Thee to take them out of the world. He's saying to them at this particular point of time. I do not ask thee to take them out of this world. But to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. And didst thou send me into the world. Also I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself. And they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask. In my behalf of these alone, but for those also, for those also who believe in me and through my word. And so we begin to take a look at this. Guys, we're not going to escape these problems. We need to recognize them and we need to face them. And, and Jesus is saying here in his priestly prayer, he goes, I love my disciples, but they're going to be facing some problems and I am not going to take them out of this world. But what I am going to do is I'm going to strengthen them in their faith. 
And a lot of people read this and he, they say, well, Jesus was just talking to, to his disciples. I got news for you. If you read uh, verse 20, and it said, at all those who believe. How many's going through problems? How many's ever had a problem? How many wants one? Well, whether you like it or not, it's going to happen. Guys, we have an adversary, and he goes by many particular names. In 1 Peter chapter 5, and verses 6 through 11, and for sake of time, we know that he comes around as what? A roaring lion. Not the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he comes around as a roaring lion. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, it says that the thief has come to kill, he's come to steal, and he's come to destroy. And so we know he's recognized also as a thief. He wants to steal from you. He wants to steal your children. He wants to steal your marriage. He wants to kill it. He wants to kill and destroy anything that is of God and is godly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, it also says that he appears sometimes as what? An angel of light. He's not some medieval character that has passed away with time. He is very, very, very real. And he is bringing havoc and he is bringing turmoil to whoever will not recognize what is happening and face it. Has anybody ever seen that commercial about insurance? And this lady's driving her car and this guy says, my name is Mayhem. You don't have insurance. Or your insurance is not good enough. Has anybody ever seen that commercial? It's, it's kind of funny in a way, but it's really not funny. And, of course, we know that he torments her while she's driving and to the point where she has a wreck. And he gets out of the car, and he's laughing, and he's wiping. You know, he's got cuts all over him. He's wiping the stuff off him. And he goes, mayhem, no insurance. Guys, the greatest insurance that you can have is eternal insurance through the blood of Jesus Christ. You're insured. When mayhem tries to get into your car with you because you have a problem, I'm talking just theoretically here, you know, hypothetically here. When he, when he gets into your life and says, I'm going to direct your life. I am going to cause you to be the most miserable individual in the world. You guys, you pull out your insurance. It's like, take a look at this. Take a look at this. For by grace am I saved through faith, and that not of myself is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus, which God hath before ordained that I should walk in them. That's my life insurance. I have been saved by grace through faith. My life insurance. The question is, how do you choose to deal with the enemy of our souls. Chamberlain chose to ignore it. He was hoping that it would just go away. It's not going to. Not until we learn to recognize what the problem is. We learn to face it by faith in the scripture of God. And make our stand until that thing has been taken care of. There was an atheist The whole life here on earth, he kept saying, I don't believe in the devil, and I don't believe in God. I don't believe in hell, 
You've heard people like that before. And I don't believe in heaven. I believe that when I die, that's, that's it. I'm gone. And for his whole life, that's what he believed. That's what he believed. That's what he believed. And one day, it came time, and he passed. And as he began to open his eyes, he looked around, and he saw all this fire and brimstone around him. This didn't really happen. This is just a... But it does happen. Fire and brimstone everywhere. And about that time, man, he got a good prod in the rear. Then he got another poke in the side. Then he got another one, and all these demons were around him, poking and prodding him, and said, Welcome to hell! He put his hands over his eyes, and he started screaming out, I'm not here. I'm not here. This ain't happening. I'm not here. I'm not here. Chamberlain chose to ignore. Let me tell you something about ignoring something. To ignore is to encourage. To encourage is to spread. And so we understand that we cannot ignore what's going on around us, whether it's in our family, whether it's in a church, whether it's at the school. I'm going to talk about how we deal with these particular problems in our life. Churchill chose to recognize the situation with his eyes wide open, and that's why they called him the English Bulldog. He saw the bombing. He saw the death. He saw the momentum that the enemy had against England, against France, against Poland, against Czechoslovakia. He saw the momentum that was there, but he said, I refuse to relent. I refuse just to roll over and let him have his way. Has anybody ever seen that cartoon? It's actually two captions, and I'm not for sure if it was on the far side. I I love far side comics, and I seen one one day, and... And it had this stork, you know, how they've got those long bills. And his head was back like this, and his mouth was wide open, and he had this frog. This was the first caption. And he had this frog in his mouth. Well, when you take a look at the first caption, you think, well, it's inevitable. This, this frog is gone. He's history. He's food. Frog legs for today. The next caption, it showed this frog sitting down in the mouth of the stork, but he had his hands around the stork's neck. And he was squeezing. You know what he was saying? It's not over. I'm not for your supper. I'm not for any meal that you have planned. I'm going to fight until I am released. (laughs) We need to understand something. We need to recognize and we need to face our problems. God has given us the ability and he's given us the tools to fight the enemy of our souls. I want to clarify one thing about the enemy of our souls. The enemy of our souls is not flesh and blood. Now, he may use that, but it's not flesh and blood. We need to see what's driving that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3 through 5, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not what? We do not war in the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they're mighty what? In God to the pulling down of strongholds. God's given us the ability, He's given us the tools to fight the enemy of our souls. But the enemy of our souls is not flesh and blood. We have to deal with the enemy in a spiritual sense. And we need to understand that because when we get that taken care of, then the physical thing that we're facing will fall in line like God has desired for it to. 
the means of warfare that we have that was given to our given to us is faith. Everybody say the word faith. Faith. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I want to give you a little scripture concerning these issues. Faith is the means in which we deal with the enemy. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says, For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by what? Faith for the Son of God that loved me and gave himself a ransom for me. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, For the word of God is quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and joint and marrow. And I'm going to skip about two verses. And I'm going to go down. And it says that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heaven. Jesus the son of God. Seeing then that we have this great high priest. Let us do what? Come before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace. And hold on to the confession. What is your confession? That Jesus Christ is Lord. By faith I believe this. In Ephesians chapter 6. And verses 10 through 18. Ephesians chapter 6. And I know the scripture. Or do you have them up there already? Oh, same one. Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 10 through 18. And let's look what it says here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on what? The full armor of God. That you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Anybody know what that word schemes means? It means mental warfare. It means mental games. Anybody ever tried to play mental games with Satan? Don't. You don't have to play games with him. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the enemy and he's going to have to flee. But don't play mental games with him. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against rulers against powers against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places therefore take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm Paul is very explicit about that he goes put on the armor and stand and stand firm stand firm therefore having girded your loins with the truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace in addition to all taking up the shield of faith and I, I, that's where I want to kind of labor on right there just for a second and he's saying and after putting on all that armor he goes there's one thing that I want you to do is I want you to do what in addition take up the shield of faith what does that shield of faith do what does faith do with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Then it says, and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray for all times. But what I want to talk about there specifically is he says, take up the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts. Did you know that shields back then were not just defensive weapons, but they were also Offensive weapons. When you had a warrior that was really trained, not only could he stop the enemy from sticking him with a spear or with a sword, but in battle he could use that shield to push somebody down. He could use it like an axe or a sword and defeat his enemy. 
And Paul's referring to this warfare in military terms. And he says, put on the full armor of God. He says, but I want you to take on what? The shield of faith. So that you might be able to be able to stand against the wiles and the mental warfare of Satan. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, and I'm just going to give you just a few verses out of there. It says this. Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And to everyone that loveth him that beget, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For God's mercies are not grievous. And I like the last scripture that we're going to be talking about here just for a minute. And this is the victory. Everybody say victory. Oh, I like that. Everybody say victory. Got you involved, whether you wanted to or not. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our, let's all say it together, faith. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Let me just do a little side notation here. I told Karen just before, I guess about a week ago, I told her, I said, hey, you know what? Today's Karen's birthday. I told Karen, I said, you know what I ought to do? I ought to shave my beard before I go up there. And she said, don't, don't do that. And I said, well, why not? She goes, because they couldn't get past staring at you to hear what you were going to say. Because <laughs> they've never seen you without a beard. And I said, well, I'd have their undivided attention, wouldn't I? I'm just teasing. Means of warfare. God's given us the means in a particular word called what? Faith. It's not faith in our faith. It's not faith in our faith. It's not faith in our ability. It's not faith in who we think we are. It's not faith in our possessions. It's not faith in having friends or faith in a church. But it is faith in the finished work of the cross. It is faith. In the finished work of the cross. That's what gives you the ability to stand. To know because you know what the final outcome is by faith. And if there's one thing that the enemy would like to attack. And that is your faith. And he'll do it by any means that he can. But you have to recognize it. And you have to stand against it by using what? Faith. Sometimes it comes easy. And it comes quick. But there's sometimes, it seems like a never-ending battle. When I was growing up, I was raised up in the 60s, the early 60s. There were four boys. I was the favored son out of the four boys. I was the one that could do no wrong. (laughs) There were four of us boys. My father was in the military at the time, and had already done a couple tours over in Korea during the Korean War. and My father <clears throat> was saved at an early age. Married my mother, and neither one of them knew God. And after my dad's first tour in Korea, when he got back, his uncle invited him to a church, and he gave his heart to the Lord. Right there on the spot, him and my mother both. And so I don't ever remember my father not being a Christian. And as I was growing up, 
My dad made sure that we went to church when we were supposed to be at church. He disciplined like us, you know, scripturally like he was supposed to. And he loved us. And he made sure that we were taken care of while we were growing up. Never lacked for food and clothing. And then some of you guys remember the revolution of the, of the 60s, right? With teenagers and stuff. And so rebellion starts setting in. And, and my dad and mom prayed for us all the time. I don't blame them. But in the 60s hit and we was in, getting into high school... I got swept up into that. My father moved every nine months while he was in the military just because of his position. And so we went to different schools, and I probably attribute some of my problems from moving from place to place. Those of you that are guys know what it's like to go from one new school to the next. Girls do too, but guys end up having to face other guys that think they're the rooster. And if it wasn't to be done, we did it. Our brothers and I, actually I watched my brothers and they did it and I told on them. No, I'm just teasing. I was right there with them. If it wasn't to be said, we made sure we said it. If it wasn't to be heard, I'm talking about my brothers and I. Now you've got to think about my mom and dad as Christians and they've been praying for us all this, all this time. Whatever it wasn't supposed to be, we made sure we were there doing it, regardless of what it was. And I tell you what, I gave, we gave my mom and dad so much grief. I, can't, I look back now and I said, thank God my kids didn't do to me what I did to my parents. During the 1960s when we were just out raising Cain, and it's not that my father didn't believe in discipline because he did, but you know what, I was so rebellious, I went ahead and did what I wanted to do because that's what sin does to you. We got involved in all kinds of crazy things. And I look back and I, I, I think about my mom and dad during this period of time. And I know I remember walking by their room at times in the morning and at night. And I would either hear my mother and my father or my father and my mother sometimes by themselves would be in there praying. And I knew who they were praying for. They were praying for us boys. My dad had a dream one night. And in that dream... The Lord spoke to his heart and said this, two of your boys are going to be in ministry, but all four of them will be saved before this is over with. And it got worse. It didn't get any better for my mom and dad. As a matter of fact, it got worse. I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. Mark, I'm sorry. This is on podcast. As we got older, we got in a lot of problems with the law. Two of my brothers went to the state penitentiary. One of them to a federal penitentiary. And the other one in jail. Me, I was pretty much heading that direction, but the military got a hold of me and I separated myself from my brothers. And I had a friend that told us one time, he says, man, when you guys have a family reunion, you just go to Huntsville State Park, don't you? <laughs> and, you know, well, I can laugh about this now, but my mother and father weren't laughing. My dad was still holding on to what he felt like God told him was going to take place. All four of your boys will come to know God. Two of them will be in the ministry. If I, I don't know about you, but, man, if I'd have saw what was happening, 
I'd have said, yeah, right. I feel like Moses going to Pharaoh saying, turn my people loose. After I got out of the military, I was the first to give way to the wooing of the Holy Spirit. I gave my heart to God in 1977. I was on my way to Indiana. And I'm going somewhere with this. Put, your, put yourself in my mom and dad's place. Maybe you're going through it in a marriage. Maybe you have friends that you're, you're praying for. Maybe you have children that you're praying for. And you don't see what you feel like you need to see. But remember this. Your faith is substance for the things that you are what? Hoping for. That's what my mom and dad were holding on to. Faith. Faith in what? Not themselves. Not in the things around them, but faith in the accomplished work of Christ at the cross. And that his word was not going to return void unto him. And I gave my heart to the Lord in McAllen, Texas. And that's where I met my beautiful wife, Karen. First day I met her, I wasn't saved. And uh, her dad said, stay away from the Hudson's. Stay away from them. But anyway, my mother invited me to go to church. I was fixing to leave for Indiana to go to a, with a friend of mine to go to work up there. And my mother asked me, she never pestered me during all this time, but she prayed for me. And there's times that when God opened doors and she'd say something, but this particular time she said, I'd like for you to go to service with me before you leave for Indiana. And I said, all right. What can, you know, what can it hurt? Church of the Good Shepherd in McAllen, Texas. And I knew the layout of it because I had seen it before, before I went in the military. And the church ran, I guess, what, about five, 600 people. And they had a guest speaker in that night. And so when I walked into the back door, I made sure everybody was seated. I walked in the back door and I looked back and I saw that back row and I said, that's the one closest to the door. So I sat in that chair. The evangelist got up and he began to speak. And he stopped what he was doing. And he goes, you know what? I, I feel the need to change what I'm going to minister on tonight. I'm going to talk about salvation. And for 30 minutes, he ministered about salvation. And the whole time I was sitting in the back. Now, you got to remember, man, I, I was out there. The Holy Spirit began to speak to me. You know what the Bible says? That unless the Holy Spirit what draws a man, he can't be drawn. And I'll say that with our children, with our marriages, with our jobs. Unless the Holy Spirit, by faith, is involved in that thing, what's going to happen is not going to happen like it should. And I begin to start crying. And I said, what's gotten into me? I got up, sniffling, went out the back door, and I went home. The next night, my mother asked me again, would you please come to just one more service for me? This went on for three nights. Second night, I cried. I got up and I ran out the back door. The third night that I came, I went to go get my seat. You know, I've been going church there long enough to have my seat saved for me right there in the back. I went to go get in that seat, and guess what? Somebody had taken my seat. And so I had to walk down the aisle to try to locate me, one that was closest to the door. Well, I sat down, 
on the outside aisle about four or five rows down. And I sat down about, oh, I guess a chair in, and I was sitting there. And this guy, he began to minister again. He goes, I don't know why I'm, salvation. We're going to talk about salvation again tonight. And he began to speak. And about halfway through his, his sermon, the Holy Spirit convicted my heart so much, I could not bear myself. I started bawling. Snot started running. No, none of you guys never had that. To whom much is forgiven. <laughs> and I remember standing up <clears throat> as he was given an altar call. And I grabbed a hold of the chair. And instead of sitting on the right-hand side, I was now sitting on, I mean, on the left-hand side, I was sitting on the right-hand side. Well, I got up and made the wrong turn. I was crying so hard, and snot was running so, I was running my eyes. I found myself halfway down to the altar and not halfway out the door. And I just stopped. And the minister said, since you're already, since you're already here, why don't you just come on down? Because evidently, this was all for you. So I went down, and I gave my heart to the Lord that night. And it was a change that changed me completely. Changed me completely. I honestly do not believe I would have walked that aisle if my mother and father would have given up. Would have given up. My younger brother was the second individual to come to give his heart to the Lord, and that was about a year later in another church. My older brother would give his heart to the Lord. And then my second behind me gave his heart to the Lord. And so all four of us gave our hearts to the Lord. And guess what? Two of us went into the ministry. I did not know about this dream until after the fact. God, God told us through my father. My father told us. He goes, we prayed for you. We prayed for you. We did not give up on you. We held on. We kept believing. We kept doing what we needed to do. And we kept on believing in what? Not ourselves. Not in individuals. Not in a building. But we believed in the word of God. It's not faith in our faith. It's not faith in our ability. But it's faith in the accomplished work of God. You ask yourself, Steve, I just don't... I don't have the faith necessary. I am wore out. Anybody ever been wore out? I have been a few times. How do I build up my faith? How do I get it to the point like your mother and father did in order to draw a bunch of hooligans in, a bunch of criminals in? Don't Google my past. It's too embarrassing, to be quite honest with you. How do I build up my faith? First of all, you need to realize this. In John chapter 6 and verse 68, Jesus had been ministering all day long, and it was a hard word that he ministered. It was a hard word. And his disciples, at that particular point in time in his ministry, there were quite a few that surrounded themselves around him. 
Anybody remember the story? Some of his disciples came to him and said, that's a hard word that you preach. Who can keep it? And they left him. Remember, I don't know how heartbreaking that would have been to you, but I I bet you Jesus was heartbroken over that. But he still kept on going. We know that his 12 disciples came to him, and he said, will you also leave me? Will you also depart from me? And I like what Peter said. Peter got it right every now and then, but when he got it right, he got it right, and it was worth writing about. He said, where would we go? I mean... Where would we go? Because you alone, you alone have the words of what? Life. Where else could we go? Regardless of what situation that you are in your life or your families, extended families, what they're maybe going through. Here's the bottom line to all that. If you, if, if you decide to say, I give up and I'm just going to go somewhere else and I'm going to do something else, the bottom line is this. Where else can we go but to God? Because He's the only one that has, has what? The gift of life. He's the only one that has the gift of life. I want to talk to you real quickly as we're beginning to close right now. This is my first closing. There are three ways that God gives us to strengthen our faith. Three ways that God gives us to strengthen our faith. In Romans chapter 10, in verse 17, it says this, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, I want to break that down just for just a little bit. Faith comes by what? By hearing. And our hearing comes by what? The word of God. I'm going to say that one more time and we'll stretch it out. Faith comes by what? And hearing comes by what? So we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We say that real quick and we understand that faith helps. I mean, hearing the Word of God helps strengthen our faith. Let me tell you what getting into the Word does for you. It is like a fire and it's like a hammer. That it breaks the rock into pieces. It's like a Q-tip in the spiritual ear of a man. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? The Word of God is like a spiritual Q-tip. Getting into the spiritual man. And what it does, it clears out the ear so that he can do what? Hear. So that his faith can expand. Faith comes by hearing. It comes by hearing. By hearing. And hearing comes by what? The Word of God. The Word of God has a way when we get into it, it begins to clear out all the moss. It begins to clear out all the spiritual earwax. And it begins to make a way so that it can make a way to you what? Your faith. And strengthen it. You know, faith is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. The more you get into the Word, the stronger your faith, you, the more you get in the Word, the Word becomes more clarified for you. The Bible says that the entrance of His words brings light, and it gives understanding. The psalmist says, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I'm going to hate every false way. That's King James. You guys can read it in the ESV or 
NAS or NIV. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and it is a light unto my path. This is what the word does for you when you begin to get in. You say, Brother Steve, I just don't have the time. Make time. If anything's worth having, it's worth making time for. And I like this one particular scripture that the psalmist writes about the word. And he says this. My soul, wait thou only upon God. For my expectation comes from him. That word expectation means life source. Psalmist cries out again. He goes, wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? But by taking heed thereto according to thy word. So we find out that one way to build up faith. Is to do what? Get into what? The Word of God. Get into the Word of God. I had, uh, after I gave my heart to the Lord, I had pretty much blown what mind I did have, and there wasn't much there in the first place. But I had pretty much smoked it over and stained it and, you know, and painted over it pretty much. And I was going to Bible school. Went to Bible college in Dallas. And my first year for me was a nightmare I could not understand it was as though they were speaking Latin they were speaking a foreign language to me my mind was so far out there it needed to be reeled back in some way and I felt like the Lord spoke to me one night and he says you know what you need to do for every issue in your life that you are dealing with I want you to start memorizing the word that's applicable for that situation. Does that make sense? Memorize it. Memorize it. And I could remember going into my back room in the dorm and shutting my door and turning on the light late at night after work, and I would sit in there and look at that thing and look at that thing. And I tell you, I, I had a hard time learning Jesus wept. But over a period of time, as that word kept hammering, that word kept being administered to my poor little old brain, that little marble up there, as it can begin to minister, you know what the word began to do? It began to wash my mind clean. It began to open my ear so that I could hear from God. And God's given me this ability out through all that, through all those four years I went to school, God has given me the ability to be able to learn Scripture. But it came at a price. It came at a price. The second thing I want to talk about is Jude chapter 1 and verse 20. He said, Beloved, build up your most holy faith by doing what? By praying in the Spirit. Build up your most holy faith by praying in the Spirit. So we find out that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. He says, but now that you've got the Word of God, what do you need to do? We need to get to a place to where we can pray. Pray is not, praying is not you talking at God or me talking at God, but prayer is a dialogue where we communicate with God. You know, there's nothing wrong with driving down the road and having a conversation with God. Now, the people next to you may think you're nuts, but you're not. Carry on a dialogue with God. Spend time and pray. 
The Word says pray without ceasing. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. So God's given us some things that we can sharpen our faith with. And one of them is the Word of God. The other one is spending time in prayer. And I'm running out of time. And Ephesians chapter 4. And this is the one I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys go on. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplied, according to the, effect, the effectual work and the measure in every part, for the edifying of itself, that the body may grow up in what? Love. What are you saying, Steve? I'm saying this. There is, you know, they've heard of these lone wolf attacks, and we've heard of terrorist lone wolf. They're, they're, God has no lone wolves. Wolves, wolves. You know, those things with hair that bite you out in the woods. I used to hear this thing when I, was, when I was first getting into the ministry, and I would be talking to some of my friends about the Lord. And they said, well, me and God got our own thing going on. How many of you ever heard that one? Well, I can meet God out underneath the coconut tree if I want. And, you know, God can meet me. I said, you know, you're right, he can. But that is not the way he planned things for us. He desires that we hook into a body somewhere. And there is a reason behind that. So that when we're weak in faith, the brothers and sisters that are there that are not weak in faith can come together and they can encourage one another. We have life groups right now. And I'll tell you what, I get so encouraged in my life group. Coming here in the, in the, during, on Sundays... I am very encouraged when Mark preaches. And it helps lift my faith. It helps strengthen my faith. It's not going to happen overnight. It takes a long time. But anything that's worth having is worth working for. Have you ever seen these commercials? And I'll close with this. This is my second closing. Have you ever seen these info commercials where they got these Stairmasters and they, they got these, you know, pull weights and stuff like that? And they show these guys and gals on those things and they got sweat just running off their bodies and they've got 10 or 12 packs on them. You know, just, they're, they're just cut. And I did this in 14 minutes. You've heard that before, haven't you? <laughs> and... Believe it or not, there are people that buy into that. I have seen more Stairmasters and bicycles at the Goodwill. <laughs> Building your faith through the Word, through prayer. Getting yourselves involved in a body of believers that care for you. Building that faith to be able to deal with your issues takes time. But you've got to start somewhere. We have to start somewhere. The first step is always the hardest, but it's the most necessary. And I want to close with this. This is my third closing and final. God desires that we start our beginning with Him in faith. That we walk a life of faith and then when time comes for us to spend eternity with him and we leave this place, he desires that we finish it in faith. And say like Paul, I have finished this course. I have kept 
the faith. Henceforth there is now a crown laid up for me, a crown of righteousness. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you that your grace is sufficient. We thank you that we didn't have to go to Calvary ourselves because that would have just been a waste of time because there's not, nothing good would have come of that. But you took our place. You accomplished what we could not do in ourselves. And all you asked of us is that we believe in what you've done. Word of God says, for those that believe and come to God, he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek them. And this morning we come before you and thank you for the, for the salvation that we have so secure in you. And for the victory that we have in you. It's not a matter of what we see. It's a matter of knowing what you have done. And when by faith we hold on to that. We will have victory in every area of our life. Whether it's our finances. Whether it's our job. Whether it's our marriage. Or our children. And we hold on to that fact that faith is the substance for the things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. And we hold on to that, that finished work of grace that you've given us. And we love you, Father. And we thank you for this day. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.